All right, Acts 13. Uh, so glad to be with you guys. If we haven't met, my name is Dominic. I'm one of the pastor elders here. We are in a series called Kingdom Come through the book of Acts. And we have been asking, what would Ventura County look like if Jesus were king? And what should the church look like since Jesus is king? What would it look like for God's kingdom to come in and through the lives of his people? Well, part of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come in and through the lives of his people is for his people to walk in his authority and to use that authority like he uses that authority. The title of this sermon is Kingdom Come Authority. Acts 13, we will start in verse 4. I'll be reading from the NIV as we are reading and preaching from the NIV for this whole series. It says, They, Paul and Saul, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, that's John Mark, was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet. He was a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. This guy's a government official, this proconsul. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, Mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that throughout History, you have spoken to your people through your word. We ask that you would do so today. We ask that you would give me grace to be a good steward of the preaching of your word. And we ask that you would give each of us grace to be good stewards of all that you have given us, including, as we will see today, authority. And we ask more than anything, Lord, that we would see you clearer and better today. Pray for the heart that needs to be encouraged, that you would encourage that heart. That for the downcast soul, that you would lift that person up. And pray for anybody today who is here exploring faith, exploring you, Jesus, that you would show yourself, reveal yourself to them. And that they today would come to the saving knowledge of you. We ask it in your name. Amen. When I was a teenager... You just giggled. Everyone just giggled. You don't want to know about me as a teenager, huh? Yeah, I know. When I was a teenager, uh, my parents 
as parents do, began to give me a little bit more authority. They began to delegate some authority to me, if you will. Unfortunately, I thought I had more authority than I did. And I misused the little bit that I did have. I took advantage of it until it eventually got me kicked out of classes, suspended from school, and eventually landed me in a jail cell at the Lake Havasu Police Department. Very quickly, uh, I became aware that my parents then had all of the authority in my life because they were able to take everything and anything away from me, and they did. It turned out that they were still in charge, not just legally, but practically. They still paid my bills and paid for my car insurance and gave me food, and so they were, had the authority to strip anything and everything from me that they wanted to, and they did. The truth was I only had authority that had been given to me, and the little bit that I did have, though, I had a choice as to how I would use, or in my case, misuse it. Right now, there's a, a battle taking place, okay? There's a battle for attention. There's a battle for people's affections, for people's souls. But there is also a battle for authority in people's lives. Who is in charge? Who is in charge in your life, in your world, in my life, in our world? Who has the authority? What authority do we have, if any? And how should we use it? The Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. The implication there is that he does have some authority, but how much? And how does he use it? The Bible says Jesus is king, and yet his kingdom is not fully established on earth. So what authority does he have? And how does he use it? And what does all of this mean for us? What we see in our passage today in Acts 13 is an example of how all of this plays out with God's people and how it ultimately then affects the world around God's people. There's three things I want us to see today. Number one, the war is real. Number two, Jesus won the war. And number three, we are in or with, rather, Jesus. First of all, the war is real. Can you say out loud, the war is real? So Paul and Barnabas, right, they all, they're all, the church is gathered and the Holy Spirit is like, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. And then it says that the Holy Spirit sends them out. He sends them out to go and preach the gospel. And so they're in the synagogues and they're, they're preaching the word of God. And then they hear about this government official, this proconsul, who wants to hear about Jesus. And so they are heading to him. And what happens they are immediately met with opposition in the form of a sorcerer who Paul calls a child of the devil. First of all, we need to recognize that there is a spiritual battle taking place all around us. Ephesians 6 says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. In other words, what often may seem to be nothing more than just a normal struggle between people or just a normal lame situation may actually be a situation that is being influenced by demonic forces as it was here with this situation with Paul and Barnabas. Now, that's not to say that every time something lame happens in your life that it's the devil, right? When somebody steals your parking spot at Trader Joe's, you can't be like, the devil, at the same time, 
we need to know that the war is real and that there are real players in this war. Satan is real. Demons are real. As we see in our passage, sorcery is real. Witchcraft is real. People can be influenced by demons. People can be demonized, controlled by demons, led by demons. This man here in Acts 13 was being influenced by demons and was coming against the work and the people of God. We need to know today that not only are Satan on his cohorts real, but they oppose the work and the people of God. But Dom, I don't understand. If Jesus is all powerful, like why, why, why can Satan do stuff and oppose the things of God and the people of God? Well, you know how my parents delegated some level of authority to me as a teenager? In the same way, God has delegated some authority, some to human beings and some to angels. And just like I had a choice of how I would use that authority that had been given to me, we all have a choice how we use the authority that God has given us. It's the same thing with angels. The devil was an angel named Lucifer. And he had a high position in heaven and was given a high level of delegated authority. But he and other angels misused that authority to rebel against God and in turn, were cast out of heaven, out of the presence of God. But when they were cast out of heaven, their delegated authority remained intact. This is why now the Bible calls Satan the God, lowercase g, little God of this world. The Bible is clear that Satan does have some power and some authority, and he will use every bit of it to come against us. That's right. This is not a battle between God and Satan. Satan can't actually get to God. And so he will get to those who God loves most, his children. Now, this is always true. But it is especially true when we start to get on mission with God. We need to recognize today that there is a spiritual battle taking place all around us, period. But that that battle intensifies the moment that we begin to say yes to God in our lives. We've been talking about all these beautiful distinctions, right, of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come. And if Jesus were king, it's like, oh, we talk about power. We talk about God's people preaching. We talked about the practices of the Christian church. And then the fruit of that, you know, people are being saved and relationships are being restored and people are being healed and miracles and unity and maturity. It's all, it's beautiful, but we would be liars if we didn't also acknowledge that any time the kingdom of God advances, the kingdom of darkness opposes. Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the Spirit of God to do the work of God, and what happened? They were met with opposition. This is just how it is. I can't tell you the amount of times I have had people come up to me over the last 20 years of doing like a lot of ministry in churches, and they'll say something to me like this. They'll be like, Hey, dude, this is the weirdest thing. You got to tell me what's going on. So for such and such amount of years, I was just kind of like a nominal Christian, right? Like I relegated God to this two-hour window on Sundays and then a few seconds before my meals and anytime there was a tragedy. Other than that, God wasn't really integrated in the rest of my life. 
but these last couple of months, I've really gotten on fire, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, I, God is integrated in every part of my life. I'm asking him about decisions at work. I'm, I'm praying for people in my family. I'm telling people about Jesus. I'm serving at church. I, I've realized all oh, my stuff isn't mine. I'm, I'm being generous with it. I'm being hospitable with my life and my time. But dude, here's the deal. Before, when I was just this like kind of nominal Christian, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of spiritual attack in my life. And now I started following Jesus like for real hardcore and all this spiritual opposition is coming. I don't get it. Why? And I'm like, yeah, dude. Yes. Because when you were building your kingdom, you weren't a threat to the kingdom of darkness. The enemy's like, sweet, thank you. You're kind of doing my work for me. But as soon as you started to build the kingdom of God and make your whole life about that, you became a threat. You're like the soldier in the army who was off by the river building a sandcastle. You're no threat. The enemy's like, cool, he's not doing any damage. But as soon as you came to the king and you got your marching orders and you stepped out onto the front lines, you became a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Paul and Barnabas got their marching orders and they were sent out by the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God and to do the work of God. And they were a threat and in turn became a target. We need to know today that there is always a spiritual battle going on, but you should expect that battle to intensify the moment that you say yes to God. And it should not be surprising to you. Maybe you have said yes recently in some way stepped out in faith, maybe surrendered something in your life, committed your entire life, not just a little portion of it to God, and you have begun to experience what feels like pushback and opposition. Maybe that opposition is actually assurance, friend, that you're on the right path. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Uh, Dom, this isn't a very good pitch for saying yes to God. Like, that whole building the sandcastles on the side by the river kind of sounds nice to me. Like, I, I don't know if I want to be in the war. That sounds a little scary to me, Dom. But friends, we have nothing to fear. We have no reason to be intimidated because while the war is real, number two, Jesus has won the war. Somebody say, Jesus won the war. Do you notice how Paul and Barnabas were not afraid, surprised, or intimidated by this sorcerer? Why? Well, this sorcerer did have some level of authority. The demons influencing him had some authority. But Paul and Barnabas knew that there was a greater authority above that authority. It says in Ephesians 1 that God exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title that is given, not only in this age to come, but also in the one to come. Jesus has all of the authority and if he has all of the authority, that means that no one else does because authority is always in relationship to something else, right? If you've got it, that means they don't. My parents had it, that means I didn't. Jesus has all of it, that means that no one else does. 
All things are subject to him, even the most powerful things in the universe, as we just read in Ephesians 1. Guys, you know to know today that Satan does have some power, but he is not all powerful. In the book of Job chapter 1, we see that Satan comes to God and has to ask him for permission to bring devastation against Job. And God allows it, but limits how much, how far Satan can go. In Luke 22, Satan asked Jesus if he could sift Peter like wheat. Jesus said no. In Mark 5, the demons inside the tormented man begged Jesus to not throw them into the abyss and asked for permission to go into the pigs instead. The devil has some power, but only that which has been given to him. He is a created being. This is not a battle of like good God versus evil God, and we'll see who wins. There is only one God, and he already won. Jesus has all of the authority. That means he's not trying to get it. He's got it. I love how it says in this passage that he has been seated at the right hand of the Father. You ever notice how in Scripture, anytime it talks about Jesus in heaven, he's always sitting down? Except for one time, Jesus is always sitting down in heaven. Why is he sitting down? It's not because he's tired. It's because he's finished. You sit down when the work is done, when the work is finished. Jesus does not fight for the victory. Jesus fights from the victory. He has all of the authority. And we see this play out in the gospels, right? Read the gospels. It's like, oh my goodness, you see the authority of Jesus put on display. He encounters somebody who's, who's demonized and he tells the demon, come out of them, they're set free. He encounters somebody who's got a disease, tells the disease to go away, they're healed. Blindness gives them their sight back. Dead people tells them to raise, they raise from the dead. Storms, he's like, shut up, calm down. They listen. That's authority. But it's not just that. Because let's be, let's be real, guys. All that is awesome. But if Jesus just uses his authority to heal people, cast out demons and raise the dead and calm storms, and then just goes back to heaven, so what? What good is that? Because his authority is just here for a little while and then it's gone. All of that is temporal because eventually you're gonna die. Another disease will surface. More demons will show up. More storms will come. All of that deliverance is temporal. And we don't need temporal deliverance. We need eternal deliverance. We don't need the temporal storms of life to be calmed. We need the eternal tornado of our souls to be calmed. It means nothing if Jesus uses his authority to bring temporary relief to our lives, but leaves us eternally dead in our transgressions and sins. But he has not left us eternally dead in our transgressions and sins. For you were dead, it says in Ephesians 2, in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love who, God, I'm sorry, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Jesus didn't just come to heal the physically sick and raise the physically dead. Jesus ultimately came to raise and heal the spiritually sick and dead. 
And how did he do that? By giving up his life. And that was actually the greatest demonstration of his power and authority. Everyone gets to choose how to use their authority, right? Satan uses his authority to destroy life. Well, the climax of Jesus using his authority was when he went to the cross and laid down his life. And in doing so, he actually removed the authority of Satan from our lives. Let me explain. The devil hates us. We got that out of the way, right? He doesn't like you. He doesn't like me. He wants to destroy us. But listen, the only thing that he has on us is our sin and our guilt. That is his power that he has against us. We're all born with sin. We're all born with this disease called sin. And that makes us guilty before God. We have a verdict before us. Like you stand before a court, there's a verdict. We have a verdict before us and it is a guilty verdict. Well, Satan takes that verdict and he holds it over our heads and keeps us trapped in our guilt and our shame. And he's right. In our sin, we are guilty before God. And unless our sin is somehow removed, we remain guilty before God and ultimately under the authority of Satan trapped in our guilt and shame. But what if the penalty for our sin could be paid for and in turn our guilt and shame removed? Then we would be free from its power and free from the guilty verdict and free from the only power and authority that Satan has in our lives. Friends, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. And when we trust in him and receive the forgiveness of sins, our guilt and shame are removed and Satan loses his power in our lives. Colossians 2 says it like this. You were dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, demons. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took those guilty verdicts from Satan. He said, hey, give me that. And he nailed it to the cross. And he said, it's been paid for. I paid the penalty for their sin. And then he cried out, it is finished. The telestai, the work is done. When you put your trust in Jesus, you need to know that your debt has been forgiven. Your guilt is removed, Christian. Your debt is paid. Your debt is paid. Your sins are forgiven. Your sin and your guilt was the one thing that gave Satan authority over you. But Jesus has removed your sin and guilt. He has, it says, disarmed the devil. He has taken away the weapons that he had against you. And now Satan is powerless against you, Christian. And it says that Jesus made a public spectacle of him triumphing over him in the cross. You know what that means? That means that Jesus took Satan, put him on the ground, and then took his foot 
and put it on his head and publicly shamed him before the entire universe and all the angels and all the demons. He has made a public spectacle of him. Satan has been put to shame. So now there may be tactical battles like Paul and Barnabas faced, but Satan's power against us has been removed. There are some battles, but the war, the war is over. Jesus won the war. So the war is real. Jesus won the war. And guys, we are with Jesus. Somebody say, we are with Jesus. Paul and Barnabas were not only aware of the fact that Jesus had won the war, but they knew that they were with the one who had won the war. And this determined how they approached this situation and this opposition. When they were confronted with opposition, they were not afraid, right? They were not timid. In fact, they were very confident. I mean, come on, dude, let's be real. How punk rock is it that Paul makes this dude temporarily blind who is coming against the work of God? Like, there's a reason God didn't give me that power and gift. I'd just be like, whoosh, parking spot stolen. Whoosh. It's kind of gnarly, right? It's kind of gnarly. But how confident was he? Where did this confidence come from, though? It came from him knowing whose power and authority he was walking in. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors are sent people who are sent with the authority of the one who sent them. The beginning of our passage says that the two of them, Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas were sent and they knew they were sent and they knew who sent them. God had sent them. And so when they, they could face opposition when it came because they knew that they had been sent by the authority of God and by the power of his spirit. This is where their confidence came from. And this is where our confidence comes from, from the one who sent us. When you get a backstage pass from a band, their uh, privilege and, and rights are transferred to you when you get like your thing, right? You don't actually have any rights of your own. You have the rights of someone else given to you and you get to show up and you get to say, oh, I'm with them. Guys, when you put your trust in Jesus, you get a badge that says, oh, I'm with him. Paul and Barnabas knew the victory belonged to Jesus but they also knew that they belonged to Jesus. And because they belonged to Jesus, what was his was now theirs. His victory was now their victory. His power was now their power and his authority was now their authority. And what was true for them is true for us. We just read in Ephesians 1, it said Jesus, right? Jesus is seated in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and rulers. But the, the very next chapter says that, and we are seated with Jesus. The Bible says that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is working within us. When we were saved and we received the Holy Spirit, we were given power and we were given authority. We need to know today that if we have put our trust in Jesus, we're now kingdom kids. 
And we've been given the power and authority of the king. Here's what that means, guys. You don't have to be afraid of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, when you're living in the kingdom of God. You have authority to boldly stand against the wiles of the devil. That means that when you experience uh, demonic opposition in your life. You don't have to be afraid. You need to know whose authority you're standing in. How do I know, Dom? How do I know if it's spiritual authority or you know, spiritual warfare? It's like demonic opposition. I don't know. How am I supposed to know that? And unfortunately, you know what? There's no handbook for this stuff. But I will say this. When you begin to experience unreasonable fear, that seems disproportionate to the situation, unreasonable anxiety, it's disproportionate to the situation, unreasonable depression, disproportionate to the situation, unreasonable temptation out of the norm, or just in general, something keeps coming against you that's preventing you or hindering you from uh, accomplishing the work and the will of God, there's a good chance it could be on some level demonically influenced. That situation could have some kind of demonic influence. Usually it's a combination of our own flesh and the devil capitalizing on our weakness. There's a good chance the enemy may be involved in that. You need to know that you have authority to stand against that. You need to know that you have authority to stand against the enemy and to speak to the enemy. One of the great truths of the Gospels and the book of Acts is that we've been given authority to tell the devil to shut his mouth and go away and not come back. And so when your kids start experiencing nightmare after nightmare after nightmare, maybe the devil's in his room. You can show him and be like, hey, you're not allowed to be here. Demons get out and tell them not to come back. When you start experiencing all kinds of division in your marriage, maybe it's not just because your wife is annoying. Maybe the enemy's capitalizing on your irritability. You need to stand in the gap and be like, hey, shut up, Satan. I'm not partnering with your lies anymore. Get out of my thoughts and don't come back. But dude, how do I know if it's the devil? Like, what if it's not him? Then the enemy's like, who, what, who cares? The enemy's like, yo, dude, that wasn't us. Be like, I don't care. Next time, remember that I told you to not come. <laughs> we need to know that we have this kind of authority. What's Jesus's is yours. He won the war and you are with him question is, how will we use that authority that we have been given? Paul and Barnabas didn't just know that they had been given authority. They knew the purpose for which they had been given that authority. We have been given authority to bring the kingdom of God in and through our lives, to bring freedom, to bring liberation, and ultimately to bring salvation. In the same way that Jesus used his authority to meet our greatest need of salvation, we can use our authority to meet the greatest need of people around us. Paul and Barnabas knew that Christ had used his authority to meet their greatest need. And so they used their authority to meet this man's greatest need. They didn't just show up and give him some like wise counsel about how he should rule their, their little government area that he was in. They showed up and met his greatest eternal spiritual need. They showed up and preached the gospel to him because that was his greatest need. That is our greatest need. That is the world's greatest need. 
We do need to know that we have authority to walk in boldness when we see, you know, demonic activity in our lives. We should pray for people to be radically healed and for miracles to happen and and tell demons to, to get out and go away. We should do it with boldness and authority. But if we only use our authority to relieve temporal suffering on earth, then we are missing it. Because God does care deeply about delivering people from all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. This is ultimately what Jesus used his authority for and ultimately what he has given us his authority for. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to know his great love for you. That though he had all the authority in the world, that he did not hold on to it. He gave up his divine rights, became a man and went to the cross for you to pay the penalty for your sin, to remove your guilty verdict. And friend, you do not have to be afraid of the authority of Satan when you put yourself under the authority of Jesus. The reason Paul and Barnabas weren't afraid of the authority of Satan because they knew they were under the authority of Jesus. The reason I'm not afraid of the authority of Satan and I can show up and speak to demons and tell them to get out. Man, I've encountered some crazy stuff like people foaming at the mouth, yelling at me in some weird, crazy, demonic, distorted voice. I tell them, shut up, you get out in Jesus' name. And they listen. Why? Not because of me. Not because of me. Because they know the authority that I have in Jesus. They know whose I am. Listen, I'm not to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Paul and Barnabas didn't have to be afraid of the authority of Satan when you are under the authority of Jesus. Today is the day for your sin and your guilt to be removed. When you put your trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and your guilt and shame are washed away. Receive his love today. Receive his forgiveness. Let's pray together. I am blown away, Lord, when I think about you having all of the authority in the world and you using it to lay down your life so that we might have life. Wow, what a beautiful demonstration of love. Today, we want to recognize that authority in our lives and we want to find rest in it. We want to find hope in it. And today, we once again, those who have already put their trust in you, we once again just once again acknowledge your authority in our lives and we say, here we are. We put ourselves subject to you and we say, we, we choose for you to be king. We choose for you to have free reign in our lives. We submit ourselves to you. And if you are here today and you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, man, you can do so right now. You can say, Jesus, I need you. I want to be under your care, under your authority. I need to have my sins forgiven. I want my guilt and shame removed. 
I believe you died on the cross. I put my trust in you today. You can do that right now. If today you want to be forgiven of your sin, would you just raise up your hand so I can see you? Is there anybody here? Yeah, brother, I see you. Anybody else? Just raise up your hand high so I can see you. I see you, sweetheart. Yep. Anybody else? I see you, little buddy. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you, brother, in the back. Anybody else? Thank you, God. Friends, right now we have an opportunity to celebrate the authority of Jesus through worship. (laughs) To celebrate his kingship. To celebrate his power. I want this city, this coastland, to know Jesus is king. Because when Jesus is king, people start getting free and liberated, not just temporarily, but eternally. We have an opportunity to proclaim his kingship, to declare his kingship through song right now. So let's take advantage of it. How beautiful it is that we get to gather together like this. If you're online, man, stand up in your your bedroom or your living room. Join in with your family. Use that online chat. Start texting each other. Yes, dude, Jesus is awesome. Put it in the chat right now. His kingship, his glory. Start worshiping him. We get to do this together in this city, in this county, in these coastlands. Communion elements are at the right and the left. Man, I want to encourage you. Go grab that communion and remember. Remember that when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood and his body was broken, that Satan's authority over your life was broken. When you take that cup, remember his blood that was shed. When you take that bread, remember his body that was broken. And in doing so, there, your guilty verdict was nailed to the cross and Satan's authority in your life was removed. And to the right and the left, there's these signs that say prayer team. And there's people in green shirts or have a, a, a lanyard with an R on it. That's our prayer team. They would love to pray for you right now. You've been experiencing some opposition. You're like, I feel ill-equipped. I know I have authority, but I feel ill-equipped to stand. These people would love to stand against the enemy with you in prayer right now. That's what they're there to do. Let's worship. Let's sing of his power. Let's sing of his authority. Let's sing of his greatness now.